Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Pastor Isaac, lead pastor of Shore Christian Church, and you are about to hear a sermon from our latest series, The Escape Room. And The Escape Room is based off of all these uh, interactive adventures all across America called escape rooms, where you're kind of locked in a room and you have to use your surroundings in order to uh, escape what's, uh, what's trying to confine and bind you. And I thought that would be a great way to tie into a series because we're all trying to escape from something in life, whether it's physical, mental, emotional. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that no matter what we're tempted by, no matter what we are facing, God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, but will always provide a way of escape. So get ready to check out this sermon. Uh, if this message blesses you, we encourage you to contribute uh, to Shore Christian Church so we can get more of these powerful messages out to people that need to hear them the most. And you could do so right on the link provided below. God bless you. Enjoy this sermon. All right. Who's been enjoying this escape room series the first couple weeks of it? I, I know it has blessed a lot of people. The, the first week, uh, we talked about this escape room called Betrayal. And how biblically to get out of that pit. And last week on Mother's Day, we had a very special Mother's Day. And we talked about this, um, this escape room that tries to lock us in this invisible prison called our expectations. And how so often, if we expect God to do it a certain way, and he doesn't, then so often we could feel uh, doubtful and we could feel broken. But it's because we put all of our hope in our boat. That was a good title. I like that. My hope is not in my boat was the title. My hope is in God. And, and I thought that was a good sermon. And today we're going to be looking at a, uh, a very difficult subject for a lot of people. But it was actually the, the one topic in my notebook that I was most looking forward to speaking on because it is so relevant for what people are going through. And, and that is depression. That is depression. It's, it's something that so many... People battle on a day-to-day basis, and you can't see the effects on the outside as often as you can if, if you have some other form of a injury or, or other pain. Uh, someone wrote in a quote, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also harder to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden of it. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than it is to say my heart is broken. And we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19 and look at a character in the Bible that knows what it's like to deal with this and how he was able to uh, get through depression and and overcome it. And uh, I'm going to start in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. Here we go. Who's ready? All right, here we go. Uh, Now Ahab told Jezebel, Everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Everything that Elijah had done. So, so here, here's 1 Kings chapter 19. Let me just tell you real quickly what happened in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah was a mighty prophet in the Old Testament. He was serving God as a prophet in a time when so many other Israelites and so many other prophets forsook God. And in fact, Elijah was the only one in this moment who had the faith 
to stand by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he believed that there needed to be a public demonstration that would separate the one true God from these false gods that everybody else was worshiping. So he, he said, I want to show down. I want to showcase my God in front of the world. And so he called out all the other prophets, 450 of these other prophets that all worship this God called Baal. And so he said, meet me at Mount Carmel. And so uh, this is not a good way to like settle inner office disputes, by the way. I would not recommend doing this. But he says, we're going to show the world. Meet me at Mount Carmel. So here's, here's Elijah, and he meets 450 of the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And, and Elijah says, all right, we're going to show everybody. And they had an audience. All of Israel was watching. And he said, we're going to show them and, and see which God is the real God. And so he said, you, you and all your 450 prophets, 450 to one, uh, I want you to, to make a sacrifice and, and see if Baal can rain down fire to consume that sacrifice as you cry out and praise this false god named Baal. And so they, they did that. They put a bull on the altar. They built an altar. Then they started singing and dancing and they started chanting and they started slashing their arms trying to somehow conjure up uh, this spirit, this Baal, uh, to be able to rain down fire. And, and it's hysterical. They did it for an entire day. That, that's, that's exhausting. And, and you know what Elijah was doing the whole time, John? No, he, well, he was, but he was making fun of him the whole time. The whole time, they're, they're sitting there trying to dance. Uh, Elijah's like, maybe Baal is on spring break. Maybe he thought you meant Magic Kingdom and not Mount Carmel. Oh, and may, maybe he had some bad Mexican food last night and he's at the bathroom. He said that. I, I, I love it when people say uh, the Bible's boring. No, the Bible's awesome. You're boring. Maybe he had some bad Mexican food and he's on the toilet and he can't hear you. So for a whole day, and and Elijah's just just mocking him out, making fun of him. And then after the whole day, nothing comes down. They're all slashed out, tired, exhausted. And Elijah says, all right, I'm going to one-up it a little bit. I'm going to put my sacrifice on the altar, pour some water on it. So they pour all this water all over the, the, the offering, all over the bowl. He prays one powerful paragraph of a prayer. And in that moment, God rains down fire in front of the whole nation, in front of the 450 prophets of and consumes that offering in just one moment. And then with boldness and with fire, Elijah stands up and he tells them to just butcher the 450 prophets. So everyone came and killed 450 of the prophets. He was a bad dude. Vito Corleone had nothing on Elijah. He was a bad man. And right after that, it hadn't rained in three years. And so after that, he told Ahab, you better get ready because there's going to be some rain coming. And so he went up and started praying for rain, been a drought for three years. And as he was praying, he sent his servant six times to go look for a cloud. And all six times, there was nothing but blue skies. But on the seventh time, he sent out his servant and he saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he said, that's it. And he had faith enough in that moment to go tell the king, it's gonna rain, baby. And when he said that, the sky turned black. Ahab got in his chariot, started going back to the capital. And Elijah got the spirit of Hussein Bolt on him. And he literally outran the chariot coming down the mountain as the skies unload with rain. That's a church service. I, I mean, I'm going home pumped. After a Sunday morning like that, right? And and so, right, I I mean, I'm thinking, what's next for Elijah, you know? I'm so glad I didn't have, like, the gift of fire, that I just have the gift of encouragement. (laughs) I feel like that would not go well with some people that leave early on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Just walking around, burn eyebrows, just. (laughs) (laughs) So God gave me encouragement, thank you. You know better. All right, and and so now here's, here's Elijah, 
1 Kings chapter 19. So this is all that he's done. Verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me ever so severely. In our modern vernacular, I'll just kind of break it down for you. Uh, Jezebel sent him a text message that said, don't like what you did to my prophets. Angry face emoji. (laughs) You better run. Hashtag, I'm going to slay you all day. (laughs) Send. And Elijah was afraid when he got this death threat. And he ran for his life, and I like to think he ran from his life. Then he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he, and just himself, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a tree and sat under it and prayed that he might die. And he began to let depression turn to suicide in this moment. Mighty man of God. Seen miracles, seen God literally move mountains, and now he's, he's given up on his life. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the brush, bush and fell asleep. The title of uh, this morning's sermon is Hot Mess. Any hot messes in here this morning? <laughs> if you raise your hand, turn the person next to you and say, you're sitting next to a hot mess today. And so like, we, we have our definition of that. Uh, actually, in the 18th century, what a hot mess was, was a, uh, uh, a mess hall, like a cafeteria. That's what they referred to it as. A uh, hundred years later, in the 19th century, it was known as a dangerous situation. And the military used hot mess to, to kind of describe when it was something that they were being flanked or they were being surrounded and went, man, we're in a hot mess. What are we going to do? And that's where that, that term kind of evolved. But today, what it means, Urban Dictionary, it, what it means is a beautiful disaster. <laughs> I love that. I love that. There's some beautiful disasters in here this morning at Shore Christian Church. Uh, and what that means is, is you can look beautiful on the outside, but there's a hurricane <laughs> going on on the inside. Sometimes things can look so nice on the outside, but you got to look underneath the surface and there's some cracks. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity that you have given me to be able to share your word to a group of people, Father. I, I, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you will help me to be able to communicate this message in a relevant and real way that can set people free. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. It was uh, this past Monday, I um, went to uh, Home Depot to uh, buy a refrigerator. And uh, I need a little mini fridge, so I went and bought a refrigerator. And uh, as I'm there, uh, one of the uh, reps said, uh, do you want a $50 gift card? Those are never good conversations to start with. But I, I said, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll take that. You know, this thing just cost me like 75 bucks. I'll take 50 back. And so I, I said, what do I got to do? They, they said, we're going to send somebody to your house to just test your water. We're just want, we're testing uh, water all across uh, Monmouth County to test the quality of the water. I said, okay. And so I make an appointment. Uh, the next day, the, uh, the, the, the gentleman shows up to test my water. Dude shows up looking like straight out of Goodfellas. I mean, full sweatsuit on, like Mr. T startup kit going on and, and he literally like, like he's like I'm here to test your water I'm like my what my wa- your water oh my water 
Okay. Uh, and, and so I'm like, right, right over here. So he comes and, and he's, he's in my kitchen. And he's got all these like little tools and, and different like squirt bottles and stuff like that. And he's like, where's your wife? I'm like, what are you talking about? Where's my wife? I'm here. He's like, no, your wife's got to be here in order for you to get the $50 gift card. She's got to get her. Go get your wife, bro. I'm like, all right, so I go get Diamond. You know, she's got the baby, holding the baby. Uh, Diamond's here today somewhere. Love you, baby. Where are you? Hey, what up, girl? This was crazy, right? So my wife is there, and the guy's like testing our water, and he says to us, uh, yo, you, you got some dirty water here, bro. You got dirty water. You got chlorine in your water. You got, you got iron in your water. You got a little of this. You got a little of that. You, you're you're going to be dead in five years if you, don't, if you don't change this water supply that you got going on. Where do you get your water from? I'm like, I get it from Wall Township, where everybody else gets it from. And he's like, well, well I, you're, you're very lucky, son. You're very lucky, because I, I'm here, and I got something I can help you with, because uh, uh, you're going to save a lot of money if you switch to one of my water filters. And so I say, all right. All right. So he goes, I'll show you. Uh, uh, honey, honey, toots, you, you get over. I'm like, that's my wife. Her name's Diamond, not toots. And, and so he's like, yeah, I want you to come over here and suds up your hands real good with the soap. Suds it up real good. I'm like, suds it up real good? What? And, and so my wife's like sudsing up her hands. And, and, and then as Diamond sudsing up her hands and washing them, he goes, I want you now to lick your fingers. I'm like, bro, that's too far. <laughs> lick your... <laughs> Did he not say that, Diamond? And, and so, I mean, we're like taken back, but, but he wanted to show how good the, this clean water is. And so he did the filter system with the water. And, and so we're like, kind of like, okay, this is, this is good. This works. Um, you know, and, and at the end, he's like, all right, you're, 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 you're very, very lucky. You're one of the two families. I'm like, it's like, yeah, every year we pick two families and we give them very special deal. I feel like my Italian accent is turning into a Russian accent, but that's okay. <laughs> He's like, very, very good deal. He's like, usually we charge $10,000 for the water filter. But for you, I'm like, yeah, what, free? Free? It's like, nine Gs. Nine Gs? He's like, but, but for nine Gs, I'm going to give you a lifetime supply of my all-natural soaps. So you could suds up your wife or whatever. You know, <laughs> he didn't say that. He didn't say that. <laughs> And, and so, and so I'm saying, all right, all right, look, bro, you know, two families, I think this is a little, I, I'm, I'm not from Staten Island, but this is a little fugazi if you're talking to me, two families, and I'm one of the two families out of 10,000, and then he literally says to me, hey, don't worry about it, you don't need to worry about the two families, you just need to worry about you getting a good water filter for $9,000. I'm saying, don't tell me what I need to worry about, I'll worry about what I need to worry about, don't worry about me, and you know what, in fact, why don't you get out of my house, my wife has sudsed up her hands plenty, and I don't want no water filter, but the one thing that did kind of freak me out about this whole process was the water that he said was contaminated and dirty and full of chlorine looked exactly the same as the water that came out of the natural springs faucet that was all natural water. It looked exactly the same. I mean, it looked clear, but it was contaminated. And that's what it means to be a hot mess. And sometimes that's what it means to, to battle depression is is everything on the outside looks normal. Everything on the outside looks, looks great. I, I feel great. I come into church and I, I smile good and, and I feel good. But on the inside, I, I'm a beautiful disaster this morning. And, and so the good news is, is you are surrounded by beautiful disasters this morning at Shore Christian Church. You are surrounded by the most beautiful hot messes in all of the Jersey Shore because we might look real good. I may look real good, but I want you to know that I've been a hot mess many times that I have had to take the stage here on a Sunday morning. Let me tell you, I'll, I'll never forget Father's Day, first Father's Day without my dad. I, I woke up that morning and I was so angry that morning. 
I, I remember I, I, was, I was yelling at Diamond. I was yelling at the kids. I even yelled at my mother. <laughs> I better run out of here after church. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm, very, I'm very serious. This was like a real thing that I went through. I didn't even know why. And, and we're on our way to church. I'm coming up to, to preach on Father's Day. And, and I remember uh, I was so flustered uh, and, and yelling and upset. We get to church and I realized I forgot my books. <laughs> and so I'm panicked now. I, I'm panicked. And so I, I, I'm freaking out because I'm, I, I, it's my fault. So I blame it on Diamond. Diamond, why didn't you grab my books? I'm getting the kids ready. You remember your books. And then, so I got so upset. I took my mom's car. I'm driving back to my house. I hit like this giant possum on my way back to my house, pulled the whole bottom of the car like out. I finally get home. The car's like dragging. Sorry, mom. I did fix it for her. And and I, I get my books. I come to church and I run on stage and I'm like, oh my God, I I just went through like a nervous breakdown and now I got to take the microphone and preach Jesus to a group of people that came to be encouraged this morning. And what was amazing is I was able to get this microphone and preach God's word, and people got saved and set free. And nobody knew one thing that I was dealing with in my own heart because I was a hot mess. And that's sometimes what depression can do to a lot of people. That's sometimes what sometimes even suicidal thoughts can do to people is on the outside, you go to work and you're, you, you still kind of have your life together, but on the inside, you're so broken. On the inside, you're so confused. On the inside, your mind just runs every single night and, and, and you wonder, am I doing good? What is wrong with me? What do people think of me? What are people saying about me? Are they judging me? Should I be further along in life than I am? Am I a good mother? Is the reason my kids are so crazy is because of me or is it because they're just kids? I don't know. And these are the things that just dominates your mind day after day after day. But what I love about the meaning that comes through the message is it comes in the midst of the mess. The reason why the message is relevant is because of the mess that we go through in this life. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And and every single person should never feel guilty about going through a mess in their life because there's mercy in the mess. There's meaning in the mess. 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah goes from this huge high. I, I mean, he, he saw God move in such a powerful way. He is like the number one rated prophet on, you know, the big board for the draft. If you were drafted a prophet, I want Elijah. He just called down fire from heaven and runs a 4240. <laughs> you know, like, like he's at the top and yet mentally he's broken. I find it so interesting that some of the most depressed, broken people are some of the most successful, liked, powerful people that, that, that got it all. I mean, you, you, you name them, from, from the Heath Ledgers to the, the Robin Williams to the Marilyn Monroes to the, the, the Chester from, from Lincoln Park to, to all these incredible men and women who got everything that this world says, if you get that, you'll never be depressed again. If you get that, you'll never have to deal with stress ever again in your life, and they got it. And I feel like sometimes the moments that we are the most vulnerable are the highest mountaintops that we get to. 
Because what happens is, is we think that if we make this amount of money or if we get this person to marry us or if we get uh, this level in our success, then finally we'll feel fulfilled. And then we get it and we work hard to get it and we get to that mountain peak and then we realize that nothing on the inside changed at all and then you're more hopeless than you've ever been in your entire life. And you're broken just like Elijah was in in this passage. And it's the war within. I know a lot of us think that the war is with them, but the real war is, is within us. Within our own hearts. Because that is the most difficult battle to fight. Talking with, with, with some people who battle PTSD and, 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 and they were in a, a war and, and they could fight that war. For some of them, that was the easiest war to fight. But then when they got to go home and they can't run or fight to the enemy because the enemy is themselves. I mean, if it was a bomb, I could throw it. If it was a person, I could run away from them. But what about when the struggle and the battle is inside your own heart and inside your own soul? What do you do? Those moments of hopelessness. David in the Bible was a man after God's own heart. Nobody was closer to God in the Bible than David. He, he was a man who had all the success that you could imagine. He had the love of a nation behind him. He had uh, people singing songs about him. He had prestige. Everybody loved him. And yet this is what he cried out to God when he was at the mountaintop. He said, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Please hear me. My thoughts, they trouble me. And I am distraught because of what others are saying about me. Because of the threats that the wicked and my enemies are saying about me. And they assail me with their anger. Not everybody is going to like you. Not everybody is going to like you. And David, all he could focus on is the people that didn't like him. And he says, my heart is in anguish within me and terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly far, far away and be at rest. The only way I could have rest is if I could fly away from what I'm facing. Anyone ever felt that before? There's nothing anyone could say, but until I am out of what I'm facing right now, I'll never have rest. And he said, if, if I could be hurried to my place of shelter far from the storm and the challenge... David understood this. David said, make me like a bird so I could fly out of this. I got to escape it because I feel like the, the two things that, that we feel can rescue us from this, this anguish within our soul is, is either escape it or numb it. Those are the only ways. Those are my only two options. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, our, our text for this series says that you will never be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with every temptation, God will always provide a way of escape so you can endure. Endure. Not just escape, but endure. He, there's strength in the struggle. And this is the, the key, right? Write this down. Remember this if you can. This is one of the keys for this sermon. The way you escape can lead to even more captivity. Because where you run can end up running you. The way you escape it, I mean, I mean, finding something to replace it. So I'll replace it, I'll sleep with this person. I'll get angry at them, smoke this, shoot this, 
look at this website, eat this, accumulate that. But whatever you try and replace it with, you will become a slave to. Whatever you try and replace it with, you will become a slave to. So what do I do? What do I do? Because many times we preach a false gospel that if I follow God and I'm bold with the word and I, I have faith and I, I, I graduate from the faith and healing school, which we're going to have at the end of this service, that, that I'm never, ever going to have to face these feelings of anguish, these feelings of insecurity, these feelings of other people coming against me. I'm never going to have to face that again. And that is simply not true. The birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. I came here just to bring you good news. <laughs> the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. It doesn't go away. But what I love in Ephesians is Paul tells us, what do you do when arrows come at you? What do you do when you're battling in your mind? What do you do when, when, when the enemy that you're fighting isn't an enemy out there, but it's an enemy in your soul because those are the hardest battles that we're ever gonna have to face in this life. This is what Paul says because he knew what it was like to face these enemies. He was in prison writing this letter and this is what he said. He said, put on the full armor of God so that you could take and stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when that evil day comes, you will be able to stand your grip. Put on the full armor of God, which means every morning when I wake up, I got to speak with a belt of truth. I got to be able to put on the helmet of salvation. I got to be able to pick up the sword of the spirit and use that and confess that and speak God's word over my situation. And I got to be able to pick up the shield of faith so I could stand against what's coming at me today. Because I want you to know that there is going to be things that come after you today and the next day. And you have to wake up every single morning Morning, ready for a fight. Ready, I'm ready. Not just for my kids, but I'm ready for this fight that's coming after me. And I, I feel like when, when it says, you know, the battlefield of the mind is a dangerous battlefield. I mean, how do you fight the battlefield of your mind? You got to go to a higher place. Because I could think things like crazy. Am I the only one? Like, I can only do one thing at once. Like, if, if, if I'm, you know, baking a cake. <laughs> I'll never bake a cake. But if, if I'm making a protein shake, don't ask me any questions. Because I, I, I can only do one thing at a time. But I could think a thousand things at a time. You know how you win the battlefield of your mind? With your mouth. Because I may be able to think a thousand things at a time, but I can only say one thing at a time. And sometimes you need to be able to open up your mouth so that you can win the battlefield of your mind. Just because you think it doesn't mean you have to speak it. Because eventually if you speak it long enough, you'll begin to think it. Life and death are in the power of the... That's right. And so... Here's Elijah, gets a, a letter from Jezebel. Just a matter of time before you get a letter from Jezebel. 
<laughs> Somebody needs to pray for Al after service. We got you, brother. I, I mean, you're, you're going to get that. You're going to get a letter from Jezebel. What are you going to do? Don't do what Elijah did. First thing he did is he, 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 he ran away from Judah. Judah was, was the place of praise. It says he ran from Judah. He isolated himself. And then he started comparing himself to other people. Those are the three worst things you could ever do when you're in a depressed state. And he complained about what other people didn't do for him. And, and I want to say this. Don't ever feel guilty for feeling depressed. Don't ever feel condemned about feeling depressed. Because that doesn't come from God. God will never condemn you. God will never want you to ever feel guilty for how you feel. But there is a difference between feeling depressed and being depressed. Feeling depressed is is a moment in time, but being depressed is a permanent state of mind. And sometimes, even though it's been a whole day, even though it's been five days, even though it's been a whole month, and I felt the same way for a whole month. I felt the same way for six months. I felt the same way for five years. I feel this way, but this is not who I am. I may feel it, but I'm not going to confess that this is who I am. That I, This is not how God created me to be depressed. I may feel it, but I am not it. And what I feel through the power of God can be overcome. And these three things that, that Elijah did, he left Judah. Stop praising God. Stop being thankful. Depression will make you stop being thankful for what you have. I just want to say this, that I believe the reason why we can be so ungrateful for what we have and who we have is because we do not have a proper idea of what they are supposed to do for us. And so we have an expectation of that person that they're supposed to make us feel a certain way, do something for us that they were never meant to do for us. And so we're unthankful for them. We're unthankful for it because we are putting an unrealistic expectation on that person or that thing which creates an ungrateful spirit within us. I hope somebody got that. Because you're wondering why you're so ungrateful. It's because you, you bought an oven. You have an oven. And you, you want that oven to saute and slice up your steak for you. And the oven does a great job at cooking your food. And then you're angry and ungrateful at the oven because it didn't saute and slice up your steak for you. It was never meant to do that for you. That's why so many married couples are so angry at each other. And, and because they're putting an expectation on that person that they were never meant to fulfill. And then they're frustrated saying, I can't be that for you. And the other person's frustrated. Why can't you be better? Why can't you make me happy? And they're, they're doing the best they can, but they're broken too. And then the second thing he did is he isolated himself. He, he, he left his servant and, and he isolated himself. And, and now he's by himself. And, and that is such a, a, a dark place when, when you feel depressed is to just isolate yourself and say things like, nobody understands me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. God doesn't even love me. So, so I'm just going to go by myself and, 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 oh, I'm such a victim and nobody loves me and, and I'm isolating myself. This is why we put such an emphasis on small groups. You have to get in a group. You have to get in a group. You have to be around some brothers and sisters that can be able to help you when you are in a cave of depression where you could be open and honest with and a group of people that are not going to judge you but lift you up and point you back to Jesus. But don't get angry at them because they're trying to help you through the word of God. Listen to them. It might actually help you. 
get around some other people, get in a group. And then the third thing is that he did is, is he, he, he compared himself. I'm no better than my ancestors, no better than, than my ancestors. And he did everything wrong. You ever feel like you're doing everything wrong? Everything wrong. Isolated himself. He, he, he compa- he's comparing himself. But he did one thing right. His prayers were terrible, by the way. His worst prayers ever. I mean, if you want to learn how to not pray, read what Elijah prays to God. I, I mean, it was just complaining, bitter, unthankful, ungrateful. But the one thing that he did right is he prayed to God. That was it. It didn't even have to be right, but sometimes you don't have to pray the perfect theological prayer in order for it to get through to God. Just open up your mouth. Stop stressing and thinking that that's prayer. Some of us, we just stress out and think that's prayer in our minds. Oh, God. That's open your mouth and pray. That's not prayer. (laughs) Why do I say that? Because I've done it. Oh, I just stress out and, and think that that, no, open up your mouth and be thankful for what God has given you. Confess your faults. Be able to get it out. Speak to God. He's the best counselor in the world. He'll save you some money. Tell you what the counselor is going to say. How does that make you feel? <laughs> He's the great counselor. He does one thing right. Elijah's at the end of himself. And, and finally, even though God, he prays this horrible prayer, and then God still comes and meets him, and this is what he does. This is what God does. Do you think he voided out the death threat that Jezebel gave him? Nope. Nope. Nothing. What he did do is he sent an angel to give him food in order to strengthen him for the journey. Because that's what God does. He doesn't remove our fears, but what he does is he feeds our faith so that our faith will grow and grow so that when we look at our fears now, they don't look big and intimidating any longer compared to the faith that I have inside of me that I may be still facing some battles and facing some fears, but my faith is so strong that they don't get to me any longer. He's not a, he's not a remover, but he is an empowerer. And that's why you need to come to church. And that's why you need to be able to have purpose with your life. And that's why you need to be able to read God's word and speak God's word is because it grows your faith and your fears might not go away, but your faith will grow larger than them. And and that's what he does. And and this is what happens. We're going to finish the story. First Kings chapter 19. Hope you guys are getting something out of this. Working hard up here. It says that once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and by his head was some bread baked over some hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then he lay his head down again. And then the angel came back. I love this. The angel came back because sometimes you still fall and you still don't get your act together after the first time. I mean, he still was isolated. He still did everything wrong. But God comes back to him a second time because that's what grace is. A righteous man falls seven times, but God does not give up on you. You may have fallen once, but keep crying out to him. He's right there by your side. And just because you failed him, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Where mess surrounds, grace surrounds much, much more. 
And a second time, he touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate a second time. Strengthened by the food, he, he went and traveled back to his compadres. He, he, he got his faith back. That, no, it got worse. You ever pray to God and it gets worse? <laughs> well, that didn't work. You know, ever go to the gym once and it doesn't work? Well, that didn't work. I'll, I'll see you next year, Jim. Sometimes prayer is a lot like the gym. It's a lifestyle, not a, not, not a, not a one-time fix. God doesn't want to just, just oh, oh, you prayed? I'm just going to fix everything for you. And then you never pray to him again. God, take away all my fears. God's like, if I did, you'd never talk to me. I didn't say that in the first service. That's for somebody here. And, and so here it is. He, he, he goes in a cave. There he went in a cave, spent a night. And then the word came to him again and said, what are you doing here? Sometimes God will say that to you. What are you doing here? Do you know how much I love you and you're sitting here feeling condemned and feeling guilty? I, what are you doing here again you're coming back still doubtful after all that I have done for you. You want to know the best predictor of what God is going to do to you in the future? His past performance. Because so often we, we, we say, I'm so depressed, I'm never going to get up again. But I want you to know that there was a moment that you were so depressed and you never thought you were ever going to get up out of that bed again. And guess what? You got up again. That there was a moment in your life that you never thought anyone was going to ever love you, that anyone was going to ever like you, and yet you were able to build relationships with people that you still have today because God was faithful then and he's faithful today too. But this is our problem. We think because our problems are different today than they were five years ago, that somehow God can't help us the same way today as he did five years ago. But this is the word for somebody, that your problems may have changed, but you still have the same God. That when David was able to go to Saul, he said, you know, this may be a giant. I've never fought a giant before, but I did already kill a lion and a bear. And the problem may be bigger. The problem may be different, but I still have the same God and he will deliver this Philistine to me. That's faith. That's faith that doesn't take away the problems, but it stands in the midst of the problems and said, give me the best shot that you got because my faith is greater than my fear. And I have the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and the, and the shield of faith. And that's how we fight our battles. And, and then he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword, and I am the only one. Look at me. It's all about me, me, me. I'm the only one left. Look at everything I've done. And the Lord says, get out of the cave and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord, because I'm about to pass you by. And so he gets out, and then all of a sudden, earth, wind, and fire. Earth shakes, there's wind, there's fire, but God says, I'm in none of that. And it says, when he came out of the cave, all of a sudden, there was a still, small voice that came to Elijah and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I feel like that, that, that's what God says to you so often during the week. What are you doing here? What are you doing still allowing that person to speak death over you? 
What are you doing giving your emotions to him to control you for the rest of your life? What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Says the same thing again. Doesn't change his prayer at all. But God ignores his prayer and gives him purpose. That's how the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's how our Savior, that's how our God pulls us out of the cave of depression. He doesn't take away a lot of the factors that are going on around us, but he speaks purpose into our life. Because the reason that so many people feel helpless and hopeless is because they have no purpose in their life. They have no direction. They have nothing that they're going after. They're just saying no, no, no all the time. But the best defense is a good offense. What are you going after? And so the Lord says to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, you'll find Hazel, king of Armin. And you'll also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi. I guess that's like the cousin of Yoshi or something. King over Israel. Super Mario joke. I don't know if anyone got that. And anoint Elisha, son of Zapath, to succeed you as a prophet. And Jehu will put to death all those who escaped the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death all those who escaped the sword of Jehu. And verse 19, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha plowing in the field. And Jeremiah puts it like this. Worship team, you guys could come up. I'm almost through. I think I am through. Am I through, Rick? Not yet. God still got more for me left. Anyone know Jeremiah 29.11? Love this scripture. Can I get an amen for Jeremiah 29.11? Here it is, right here. For I know the plans I have for you. God's got a plan for you. God's got something for you. Come out of the cave and find out what it is. Plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. God doesn't want to harm you. God doesn't want to hurt you. God wants to be able to to help you. And he has a plan to give you a hope and a future. But here's the key. They're his plans, not yours. Doesn't say, for I know the plans that you have for yourself. (laughs) Plans to get rich or die trying. (laughs) No! Your plans suck. (laughs) Because even when you fulfill them, you're still depressed. Your plans don't work. Your striving doesn't work. Your pride will just make you fall. But it's not until you embrace the fact that God has a plan for me. That it's his purpose that's going to pull me out of this pit. And when you embrace God's plans, then you can come out of every pit of depression in your life. But when you have to have it your way, my way, my plans, then you're going to be in this cycle the rest of But God has a purpose. He's not finished with me yet. He'll come and find you in a cave if he has to. He'll come and find you in a bar if he has to. He'll come and find you in a rehab. He'll come and find you in an office. He'll come and find you in a cave. He'll come and find you in an office. It doesn't matter. God will come after you. He found Elijah in a cave. He'll come after you too. I close with with this story. Uh, This is a true story 
of something that happened in the 1980s in the country of Armenia. And in Armenia, they had the most serious earthquake that ever took place in that country. Killed over 25,000 people. That morning, there was a, a father that dropped his son off at school. He was about six years old. Told him he loved him like a good father and went and drove off. Got about a mile away from the school and all of a sudden the ground rippled. All of a sudden, buildings started to collapse and, and he knew what, what had just taken place. And, and immediately the first thing he thought of was, oh my God, my son, my son, my son. Ran back uh, all the way to the school, ran a mile, found the building, the school that had completely collapsed. Everything, it was just rubble. It was a three-story school and now it was just a flat pile of rubble. The father didn't know what to do except just start like digging. And so he found the area that he thought his son's classroom might be and he just started digging and digging and digging. People were looking at him like, like you need to go get some counseling, bro. You need to go to the back to the hospital because you're obviously not mentally processing what has just taken place. And, and they thought he was just digging so that at the funeral he could have the contentment that I did everything that I could. And he started digging and 12 hours went by. Uh, the story says that 36 hours went by until finally he was able to lift this huge rock up all out of the this pile and he heard a voice and it was the voice of a child and he got everyone to come over and help and everyone started picking up stones and behold there was 13 people in this cavern 12 students one teacher one of the students was his son and his son as he jumps out he says dad I told everyone that you were going to come for us I told everyone that you were not going to give up and he got that moment with his son and I want you to know that that's an earthly story but we have a heavenly father who will come after you in every pit in every cavern he is relentless and he will come after you and leave the 99 because he cares for you because he knows that you have a hope and a future on the other side of this depression that you are facing he's coming after you bow our heads right right now. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a good God. That you are a loving God. That you are a God that knows how to give second and third and fourth chances to your children. That you do not abandon us that if we're in a, a cave of depression this morning, you don't abandon us. But you're willing to come in the cave with us. And you're in that cave with us this morning. And you're speaking to our hearts this morning that I love you so much that I can't leave you here. And some of you, you, you may say it's been like this for been like this for five years and so many people are just telling you this is who you are and and just 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 learn to deal with it the devil is a liar god wants to pull you out of that pit out of that cave and he doesn't do it by taking all the problems away, but he does it by giving you a hope and a future and purpose with your life. 
that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful in the eyes of your creator. You're doing better than you think you are as a mother and as a father. So often we could be the worst critics on ourselves and just condemn ourselves all day long, but God never condemns us. He only comforts us. If that's you, if, if, if you need to be set free from this cave of depression, I just want you to put your hand over your heart right now. God, you know those hearts that are broken. You know us who are a hot mess this morning. God, this morning you're going to meet us in our mess. That our breakthrough is coming, Lord God. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that only real freedom comes from the one who created me. God, heal this heart. Heal the pain and build my faith. And I'm not leaving the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet right now. Give the Lord a hand clap. Give him some praise.